I'll have things pop into my head. Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read from 25 to 32 this morning. And then we're going to just look at 25 to 27. But Paul is still talking to the Gentiles. We're getting a peek behind the curtain of God's operation, applying the gospel, the grace that was was um, planned in eternity past has been achieved by Christ and now be applied to the church. How does it is applied to Jew and Gentile? We're seeing that as we're work, we've worked through this figure of the olive tree. And Paul has told the Gentiles not to be arrogant and to think they're better than the Jews because the Jews had been judged and the Gentiles were coming in. <clears throat> so in verse 25 we, we see, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not you want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness in Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, Gentiles, they may also receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all, Jew and Gentile. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us. This is your word. Your spirit must apply your word. So help me to preach your word. In the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Send forth your word and accomplish your purpose in each and every heart. Lord, we we pray that you would help us also to listen as though this is your word. Because it is your word. To love it and to desire to understand it and live in its light. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Accomplish all of your purposes. We know that your word does not return to you void. So we look to you in faith and pray you take your word and do your work. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. I love mystery fiction, especially crime dramas. And yes, sometimes corny crime dramas, okay? But it's a well-defined story sometimes with heroes and villains in which a mystery is solved. So here's the formula for mystery fiction. Something unexplainable happens, a crime or a disappearance. An investigation begins. Clues and witnesses are uh, emerge and are gathered and suspects emerge. And at some point, everything goes off the rails. Thanks to misleading clues or a confession or, or unexpected alibis. You, you've seen this story a thousand times in shows and movies that you watch. Then the investigation at the end takes a giant leap forward. Whether it's a crucial clue or somebody confesses and at last the mystery is solved. You know who the guilty person is on Matlock if they are on the stand in the last ten minutes of the show. See, these kind of mysteries with the right evidence and clues and the skill to interpret them, they're solved by the hero 
in the story. But today, and we've, we've talked a bit about this already, we're looking at another type of mystery. This is not things that we on our own could have ever figured out. These, a mystery in this use of mystery in the Bible. This Bible word refers to a secret element of God's plan that has been hidden in the past, but is now revealed for the good of His people. A secret element of God's plan that has been hidden in the past, but has now been revealed for the good of God's people. And this mystery has to do with the salvation of both the Gentiles and the Jews, as we will see as we look at this text. Gentiles and Jews as whole world to the Jew. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Whole world. So today we're going to look at verses 25 to 27 in chapter 11. If you haven't been with us in our study in Romans, I would strongly encourage you to go back and read Romans. Go back and read the entire book. Go back and see Paul's passion and his desire to go to Rome and preach the gospel. See how he shows from chapter 1, verse 18, down through chapter 3, verse 20, that all have sinned, Jew and Gentile. None are good. All have sinned and need a Savior. And then in the second half of chapter 3, we see that Christ is that Savior and that salvation is through faith in Him. And it's a free gift to us because it's been so costly to Christ. So we see justification by faith alone. Then we begin to see a good sound theology of sanctification or growth in grace, which crescendos in chapter 8 with nothing separating us from his love. And then in chapter 9 through chapter 11, we've been dealing with the question about why do most of the Jews, God's chosen people as a group in the Old Old Covenant, why do most of them reject their own Messiah? Why is it that only a remnant believes? And we've seen that the Jews themselves are responsible for their willful unbelief. And the fact that God is sovereign is the answer as well, because he has mercy on whom he has mercy. So we saw the doctrine of election in chapter 9, and then we've seen Jewish responsibility in chapter 10. And we're crescendoing and bringing this all together as Paul's used this figure of the olive tree to show that, that, that unbelieving Branches broken off and wild olive branches grafted in, picturing Jew and Gentile, one people in one tree, rooted and grounded in Christ. And so Paul has been giving this figure of the olive tree to sort of give some peek behind. We we get to peek behind the curtain at what God is doing in this world, right? And the reason he's been doing this in this section is to head off Gentile pride, like I said. To keep the Gentiles from boasting over the Jews and thinking they were better or more important than the Jews. And I'll point you back to last week's sermon on that topic. But today we're going to look at verses 25 to 27 in chapter 11 and think about the mystery of salvation. The mystery of salvation. And the main point is here, as we think about these things and apply them to our lives, embrace the mystery of election and know that God will save all his people from both the Gentiles and Israel. So, yes, we are once again talking about election. It's all through the Bible. I had somebody confess that again the other night that we were talking to. said, I used to fight against these things and didn't believe these things about God's sovereignty and election. And once I got it, he said, now I see it everywhere. And that's true because it is everywhere. Sovereignty and responsibility, we've talked about two things that are certainly there in God's Word. But let's look first at the mystery of Gentile salvation. Look back in verse 25. I had a frog in my throat. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Whoever had a frog, I hope nobody had a frog in their throat. Look back in verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, or literally brothers and sisters. That plural word there is talking about brethren or the whole church. I do not want you to be wise in your own sight. I do not want you. He's already been warning against. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. I don't want you to be wise in your own sight. The reason the Jews were cut off and you were grafted in is not you, Gentiles. So he's opening up 
this mystery. And the purpose for revealing the mystery is to promote humility. He's been warning them against that. And again, look back to last week's sermon. The root of humility, think about being humble. The root of humility is right knowledge. Not just more and more and more knowledge, but right knowledge. Knowledge of God and knowledge of self in light of who God is. And knowledge of what He's revealed about He's acting, how He's acting in the world. See, if I rightly understand things, I understand my smallness. And that promotes humility. If we're not careful, we just learn more and more and more for learning's sake and we become proud. And we use it against those who aren't in on the group who know the things we know. But true humility comes from right knowledge. It comes from truth well embraced. It comes from a balanced gaining of truth so that I understand more about God, therefore more about myself. Therefore, I'm humble and dependent upon him. That's where Peter failed right before the crucifixion, isn't it? Peter didn't know Peter. Peter didn't have right knowledge of self, did he? he? Even though all deny you, I will never deny you. And he's the one who denied him three times with cursing and oaths. <clears throat> Peter didn't know Peter. And as Peter learned more about Peter, Peter was humbled. The same with us. If we not just learn a bunch of facts for our head, but if we get right knowledge of God in His world and us and us living in His world, it will produce in us humility. So think about the opposite of that. The root of pride is insufficient or wrong knowledge. And there's a thousand ways that that can take place. And 11, this is what we're looking at right here in chapter 11, verses 25 to 27. It's filling in the knowledge that should be the antidote for the Gentiles against pride. This is their vaccination, which that brings up a lot of struggle in our minds recently, don't it? But it's, it's their, they're being inoculated with truth against, against pride. God is, Graciously giving them and us right knowledge in relationship to how he's working out his salvation. So he says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I'm going to unwrap something for you here. This mystery of Gentile and Jewish salvation. So here's the mystery. And we're going to, here's a summary of it before we dig into it. The summary of the mystery is the majority, the first aspect is the majority of Israel has been hardened. Justly hardened. Okay? It's not that they were sort of neutral and didn't deserve the hardening. They were idolaters and unbelieving and deserved justice, and that's what they got. It was willful unbelief. It was a seeking of righteousness by works instead of by grace through faith. We've already seen that. And so, in just judgment, they were hardened. But not all of them. Remember, we said there's a remnant in the first part of this chapter. Number two, so the majority of Israel is hardened. Number two, the Gentiles are the majority of converts now. So that might make the Gentiles proud. Right. Number three element of the mystery, a time is coming when the majority of Jews will come to faith. So that's kind of what we're going to see as we move forward and look at this text. So look back at verse 25 in the second part. This is what he's showing. Here's the mystery. Here's the thing you couldn't have figured out unless God had revealed it. And he's revealing it for our good, for our humility. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. A partial hardening. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. To such an extent. It is a partial hardening. But it's a large partial, isn't it? Because it's a remnant we looked at in the first part of chapter 11. That was chosen by grace. Right? We look at the way things are sometimes. The way they presently are. And we think that's the way they're always going to be. 
<clears throat> and Paul is going to say that, no, that's not the way it's always going to be. Israel has been judged for their sin and unbelief, but even in their judgment, there's a grace. There's that remnant chosen by grace in, in verse 5 of chapter 11 that we've already talked about. What is the result of Israel's hardening? Now, this is going to be, this is going to be the, the wisdom of God and the, the majesty of God as he is using sin sinlessly and judging with a purpose so that he, he takes his salvation to the ends of the earth. A partial hardening has come upon Israel and there's a result of that hardening. The gospel has gone to the Gentiles. And we've already seen that as we have been thinking about it in, in Romans chapter 11. There's this remnant chosen by grace and the result of the majority being hardened is that the gospel has turned to the Gentiles. That hardening of the Jews has resulted in all of the elect among the Gentiles being saved. The fullness of the Gentiles. If you look, you know, you see that here in this verse. The fullness of the Gentiles. Look at that. That reminds us of the language of fullness about the future of Israel in verse 12. We'll look in that in a minute. But look, that word fullness there for the Gentiles. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so words like that should pique your interest. What does that mean? You'll see a lot of translation translate that word full number. The full, until the full number of the Gentiles come in. What's the number? Where did that come from? Is somebody just spinning a wheel every time a Gentile comes to faith and say, whoop, that's it. No, there's a full number of Gentiles that were given to Christ before the foundation of the world. And Jewish unbelief has been used and this hardening has been used such that from from the Jews, the gospel went to the Gentiles. We've seen this happen in Acts when Paul is resisted. And you see this over and over. He first goes and proclaims to the Jews. And then when they resist, he goes to the Gentiles. And it happened in chapter 13. And listen, if you're wondering, you've heard me tell this story before. But this verse is the verse God used to humble me. And cause me to accept the doctrines of his sovereignty and election. This verse and the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Is what God used to humble this Gentile. And chisel away some pride. He's not finished with that yet. It's still working on me. But look at this verse from Acts 13.48. Look what it says. When, the, see, when Paul says, okay, you Jews don't want it, we're turning to the Gentiles, and he's proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles then. And Acts 13, 48 says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as had been previously appointed to eternal life believed. Uh, Ephesians 1.4, as many have been chosen before the foundation of the world, believed. And if you go look at other, go look at other translations you have on the shelf, and almost, that's the wording of, that's across the board. You know why it says that in the English? Because that's what it says in the Greek. As many as were appointed to eternal life, Believed. Because none will believe on their own. We're all dead in trespasses and sins, going our own way. None seek God. We've already seen that in chapter 3. But there's a full number of Gentiles that is going to come in. And you saw a representative sample of that there in Acts 13. It's hard to be proud when you didn't have anything to do with it. And in fact, what you had to do with it would have, should have led you to being condemned and not accepted. So notice the necessary knowledge leading to Gentile humility is God's sovereign grace. Election. No Jew or Gentile deserves grace. The wages, remember 623, the wages of sin is death. That's physical death and spiritual death. That is condemnation, rejection forever, hell. 
That is what you were born deserving. You might not like that. You might not want to hear that. But that is the truth. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We come forth from the womb lying and selfish and needing training. But God, Ephesians 2, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. See, the, the rest of that Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift is Christ. No Jew or Gentile seeks grace on their own. Remember 3.11? None seek God. None are good. None seek God. That's in Romans 3.11 if you want to go look it up. I told you all before how to tell if you're elect. The elect take notes. <laughs> Joking, but it, it does helpful if you do take notes. You do remember more. But in 3.11, we've seen none good. None righteous, none seek God. God must seek us first. So the only reason why any Gentile or any Jew comes to faith is sovereign grace. That's chapter 9. Go back and read chapter If you want to be just slack-jawed over God's sovereign mercy, go read chapter 9 again if you haven't been in it in a while. Romans chapter 9. If God's at work by His Spirit, it will work humility. Not pride. Humility. The doctrine of election produces humility. Then we see it as amazing grace. Then we see that what I brought to my salvation was what deserved condemnation. Christ came to die for His enemies. And Christ is the reason I am saved. Doctrine of election is right knowledge. We've already seen it in chapter 8, and, and, and I'll point you back there. But in verse 30, those whom he predestined. See, that's not just a Presbyterian word. That's a Bible word. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And that call there is not just what I'm doing this morning. This is the general call. When I stand up and preach the gospel and urge you to come to faith in Christ, that's known as what's called the general call. In chapter 8, it's talking about the effective call, the effectual call, where the Spirit takes that word and makes it effective such that He calls that sinner to faith in Christ. Those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And look, none of them lose it. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Every soul that God justifies, He will glorify because salvation is the work of His grace. He never fails. Anybody that turns from, claims to have followed Christ and turns from it, only reveals that they never had it to begin with. We can make a profession. Go read the parable of the soils. We can make a profession without having the reality. But Paul is saying, listen, uh, Gentiles, the reason that, that this gospel has come to you is because of the hardening of the Jews. It's not because you're more special. It's not because you're anything great. You're a sinner, undeserving, just like they are. But this is how God is working out his plan of salvation. Now, look back in verse 25. I do not want you to be unaware of the mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel forever so that the fullness of the Gentiles can come in. Is that what that says? You're not reading with me. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until, until there is a termination point for this hardening. Things are going to change at some point. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, when all the Gentiles that were appointed to eternal life come to faith, there's going to be a shift and we've already talked about that when we look back at verses like um, verse 12. If their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? There's coming a day when this bringing in of the fullness of the Gentiles will turn around to the bringing in of the fullness of the Jews. So let's look at that. The mystery of Israel's salvation. Look in 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. 
as it is written. And we'll come back to those quotes in a minute. A partial hardening of Israel is temporary until once the full number of Gentiles come in by faith, then there's a shift that hardening will be lifted. Let me stop for a minute and say something to you. If you'll notice, this is a prophetic scripture. This is prophecy. This is saying what will happen, right? Taking a stand on this text is a bit like taking a stand on the millennium. Why do I say that? Because you have good, godly men and women who are studying the scriptures who come out in different places regarding this text. And to a certain extent, that's okay. If we're really digging into the Bible and we're really studying and seeking to understand and seeking to make sense of it, and we come out in different places, we can live with that. Like, think about the, 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 um, the, the millennium, as it were. Maybe you believe in premillennialism, that Christ will return before the millennium, or postmillennialism, or amillennialism, that he will return after the millennium. Those are different stances on interpreting that one place where the millennium is mentioned in Revelation 20 and trying to fit, fit that in with the rest of Scripture. So you have godly men who are premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, all love Christ, all love the Word, all come out in different places. Why does that happen, by the way? Why does that happen? Here's why that happens. The full content of biblical prophecy only becomes obvious after the predictive event happens. But we have enough. We have enough glimpses and and foreshadowings and uh, ahead of time to be everything we need right now. To get the message. So while I'm taking a stance on this passage, I believe makes sense in light of its context. Just know that, you know, other brothers and sisters who who love Jesus as much or more might come out in a little different place on on these things. But as you're studying prophecy and, and people love to major on prophecy. Right. Just realize that we have enough. We have enough content of what's going to happen before it happens, that we might trust God and walk with Him. We don't usually have all the details that we want put together for us. After an event happens, then you're able to look and put more of the pieces in place. But we have enough here to understand the main point for this, which is Gentile humility and and to get a peek behind the curtain of what God is doing. So we go back to that, that, that until in verse 25, that termination point where, the, where the, 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 the hardening will be lifted. And really, that's what we've been dealing with in chapters 9 through 11, isn't it? We're still on that same theme. Why is it that most of the Jews reject Christ? And you could say, why is it that a lot of the Gentiles accept him when the Jews don't and all of that? We're seeing that worked out for us and some of that mystery revealed to us. Look in verse 26. And you got so much here that it's hard to, you know, people take different ways. And in this way, some of your translations might say, and so all Israel will be saved. And in this way, I think I think that's right. In this way, what way? Okay, Paul, what way? You say, in this way, all Israel will be saved. What way? Well, it's the way he's been explaining in chapter 11 from verse 11 to 24. It's the partial hardening and judgment on Israel that leads God to grant the salvation to the Gentiles. Many Gentiles have come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, which then, here's, here's the way. So, so hardening of Israel... Faith to the Gentiles. You saw Paul emphasize it. I'll point you back to previous sermons. And then as, as, as these Gentiles are coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah, the plan is for that to create jealousy in the Jewish hearts so that they then turn and trust in their Messiah. That way. In this way. This big picture way. Really, it goes back to the beginning of chapter 9. This way, is this is what God's doing. This is how he's saving his people. And he says, in this way, all Israel will be saved. 
they will turn. There's coming a time when the fullness of Gentiles come in, when the hardening is lifted, that the Jews will come to faith in much larger numbers in their own Messiah. They will understand the gospel. What is the gospel? Gospel being short for good news. Good news about what? God wants me to have a new car or a fat bank account or no trouble. No, it's not it at all. Good news in light of the bad news. See, the bad news is we've all broken His law and thought, word, and deed. We've all sinned and deserve condemnation. But Christ came. Why did He come? Well, He didn't just pop on the cross. He came and was born in a low condition and lived under His own law for a time, being the Son of God, being God and man in one person. He lived under His own law for a time and fulfilled all righteousness for His people. He deserved only blessing, but as the Lamb of God, He took our curse. Our record is one of disobedience, which requires condemnation. He took that upon Himself. That's why the Scripture says He died for our sins. He paid the penalty we should pay. Being God and man, He could take the eternal hell. We should suffer upon Himself on that cross. And before He left that cross, say, It is finished. To tell us that. Paid in full. Not 99% of it paid. Even that thing you still hold against yourself. He paid for that. Your guilt is removed. See, the Jews will finally see, Oh, wow. Look at Isaiah 53. That really is about Jesus Christ. He really is our Messiah. They will grieve and turn and trust in Christ. But, and that's great. But what about you? This is not just for more information in our heads. What about you? Kids, what about you? Are you trusting in Christ alone this morning? Well, I'm trying to be good enough. Stop it. That means I'm not trusting in Christ. That means I will be lost. Because you're not good enough. You can't keep His law and thought, word, and deed on your own. That's why we need a Savior to come from heaven to save us. If we could save ourselves, Christ would have never come. You deserve condemnation. You can't save yourself. But praise God. He sent His Son. To live for us to die for us, to be raised for us, to reign for us and return for us someday. Christ, as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, died to pay the penalty and it was proved true and accepted and He rose from the grave the third day with overwhelming testimony of that being a fact. And God says that based on the fact that He sacrificed His Son, He commands all people everywhere to repent. And trust Him. Read the end of Acts chapter 17. He doesn't say pick your way and just be sincere. Whatever way you choose will work. All those ways will land you in hell. There's one Savior and it's Jesus Christ. Turn and trust in Him today. He's been raised from the grave proving it's all true. See, the Jews will finally get it. Oh yeah, the the Messiah was to come as the suffering servant before He was going to be the conquering King. He came as our Lamb, pictured by all of those sacrifices we did. He is the true Lamb of God who actually paid for our sin, and they will turn and trust in Him. Jews will, when the hardening is lifted, the Jews will be jealous that the Gentiles are partaking of what should be theirs. They will turn and they will trust in their Savior. So in this way, that's the way, that's the way that all Israel will be saved. And this, this use of this word that's here, this combination of words, describes the manner of Israel's salvation as well as the timing. After the fullness of the Gentiles come in, hardening lifted, then you're going to see the fullness of the Jews come in. So how many Jews? What does that mean, all Israel? All, every single person who's Jewish who's alive at that time? No. I'm pretty convinced that's not what that means, right? I mean, you see, you see, you hear silly things. You ever heard anybody say this? All means all, and that's all that all ever means. That's not true. The Bible says everybody went out to be baptized by John the Baptist. 
Pharisees, Sadducees, they didn't do it. When we were young, we might have said something like, man, everybody came to that party. We just meant there was a big crowd, right? What this means is the fullness in comparison to the limit, to the partial. The remnant is going to be transformed into this large group. So here's all Israel has been interpreted a few ways in the history of the church. One, that it's just the church. What it means by all Israel is the elect made up of Jew and Gentile. This was popular in the early church. It was popular as well post-Reformation has some problems in, in that words have to shift in close contact uh, to make that work. Second option is the nation of Israel in general, but it doesn't mean every individual be, will be saved. Um, I think the first one is on to something, but I, number three, the elect within the nation of Israel. All Israel in verse 26 refers to the fullness or the full number of the elect Jews. So just like the fullness of the Gentiles doesn't mean Every single Gentile. But it means every single one of the elect among the Gentiles. I think that's the answer. That's the answer here for all Israel. The fullness of Israel back in verse 12 means all Israel or all of the elect within Israel. So my conclusion is the, is the third option there. Our theology of God's sovereignty and election pushes me towards that view. Maybe most of the Jews who will be brought to faith after the fullness of the Gentiles come in will be after that hardening is lifted. Paul certainly implies, and we'll see that later as we go forward in some of the following scriptures. He certainly implies a large-scale conversion of, of the Jews, a revival which seems to meet with Old Testament expectations. And remember, we talked about this before when we talked about fullness and, and all of those things. At the end of the age... There seems that there will be a large-scale conversion of Jews at the end of the age. Now a remnant. The now for Paul is still the now for us. There's a hardening. but seem to be signs of opening. We talked about that in that sermon. But then a multitude. So Paul is saying that his burden... Think about this. Think about what he's saying that God has shown him that has encouraged him and given him hope. His burden in the first part of chapter 9 and the first part of chapter 10, his prayers for the people of Israel in the first part of 9 and 10 are going to be answered. His burden was a true burden. His prayers are effective. They're going to be answered. He knew not when exactly and neither do we. <clears throat> but there's coming a time when rightly understood all Israel will be saved. See, this is how God's working out the salvation of the world. This is how He's working out the salvation of Jew and of Gentile. See, He's not just the God of the Jews, but of the Gentiles as well. And in light of what Paul's accomplishing here, because the Roman church was mostly Gentile, right? He's saying He's not just the God of the Gentiles either, but also the God of the Jews. We saw that back in chapter 3 when we looked at that. 328 to 34, we hold that no one is justified by faith. We hold that one, not no one. I, I messed it up. For we hold that one or a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised, think Jewish, by faith, and the uncircumcised, think Gentile, by faith. And as is his habit, we'll come back to this, some of this next time, but Paul in this section, you'll see him teaching a doctrine and then connecting it to Old Testament Scripture. He connects it and shows the new covenant being applied was predicted, a new covenant applied to Israel predicted in the Old Testament. He says, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So composite quotes from Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 27 there in 26 and 27. But since we're limited on time, I want to move on forward to our application as we think about this and see that this mystery revealed is that Jews have been partially hardened and that's why the Gentiles are brought in and there's coming a time when the fullness of the Gentiles come in that it, the font's going to be opened for Israel and the fullness of Israel will come in. So Gentiles, don't be proud. It's God's grace is the reason that you've been included in this Jewish redemption.
that we began to talk about in the first part of the book, really, but especially as it relates to this question in the first part of chapter 9. So, number one, Paul wanted the Gentiles to learn these things so that they would not be proud. Self-examination question. Does your learning lead to humility? Do you use your knowledge as a way to beat others up or as a way to serve them? That's why we sometimes say that persons who come to the Reformed faith or come to the doctrine of election should be put in a cage for about a year. Because we're, our tendency is to go around beating people up with that as a club instead of seeking to serve them with it. Is your learning... See, knowledge puffs up. The Scripture warns, but love edifies. Are we learning these things in a way that produces humility and makes us better servants? Or does it just make us a bully? Again, the pride thing last week. If you're looking down on people because they don't understand things the way you do, you need to work on that. Because God's goal in all of us is right knowledge, which will lead to humility. The more truth we learn, the more humble we should be. See, if we're not humble about it, we haven't really learned it yet. If the doctrine of election doesn't humble us, we haven't really learned it yet. We're just dabbling on the surface. Because it's a good teaching that we should learn. And the first thing it should do is show us it's not because of us. We're not the point. It's grace. It's amazing grace. It's God's mercy. We deserve condemnation. How could that make us proud? So if the more truth we learn, the more humble we should be. Right knowledge of God and His creation, including ourselves, should lead to humility, not pride, especially not ethnic pride. The doctrine of God's Word, the doctrine of election, should humble you. Man, we get hold of these new doctrines or things that we've never known before. And then we look around and we write off others who don't believe these things that we've learned about. Not bad. Now, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a false gospel and stuff that we're talking about, that's one thing. But we still should be humble in our reception of this knowledge and the way it makes us treat others. The doctrine of election, the doctrine of God's sovereignty should serve us and humble us so that we can serve in a humble way those around us and hopefully help them see the glory of our God that we've come to know. See, Paul's point was the Gentiles should be humbled by this truth so that the church would be one in unity, arm in arm for the gospel. Number two, does your learning lead to hope? Man, are you just reading the Word to check it off? Are you really engaged with it so that your hope is increasing. Because the gospel should nurture and sustain and grow hope in me every day that I'm mired up in it. It recalibrates me to the truth of His grace and gives me hope in the midst of my suffering and hope for my neighbors around me that they can too can come to know this truth of His grace. See, Paul had a great burden for Israel And he learned that his prayers were going to be answered. But he had to wait. We don't like waiting, do we? We have a hard time waiting well like David in the psalm that we read. Or or Peter in in chapter 5. At the right time, God will strengthen you. But in the midst of it, count it all joy that you've encountered various trials. Not that you like suffering, but that you know your God is with you in the midst of this trial and will make it make you more like Jesus. See, gospel learning, grace learning, truth learning should should sustain us in hope. Hope is what the gospel gives us while we wait. Doctrine of election, that's what it's for. It's not meant to be a billy club we go around beating up people with. It's meant to give us hope. The reason I'm in Christ is Him, not me. I didn't start it. He did. I can't finish it. He will. I don't deserve it. Hallelujah. 
that humbles me and nestles me up in His lap, in His grace, knowing that He will finish the work He's begun. God teaches us about His sovereignty and everything else He teaches us so that we will be humble and dependent and trusting Him. And so that we will be loving and gracious servants to those around us. Without God's sovereignty, we have no hope because we would have never sought God. Chapter 3, verse 11. But because of it, as I learn more and more about this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who, are, who is in it for me and saving me, I gain hope. I gain humility. And last... Does your learning propel you to share? Your learning, if we're really learning this, it should excite us. Now, if we're legalists, we'll never be excited. I hope you figured that out by now. Legalism will never excite you. But living by, for God's glory in the midst of His grace should Propel us to tell others about His grace. See, if my understanding of God's sovereignty causes me not to worry about witnessing to my neighbor, I've sinned with His sovereignty. And, I, and I'm not really getting it. I mean, think about it. Christ came to save me. Intentionally. And that's true for you too if you're trusting in Him. Embracing His sovereignty should make us slack-jawed. Wow. Like John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once I own who I am apart from God's grace, it's all good news from there. And it should propel me out to others. See, this drama, this mystery we've been talking about, you're one of the actors in it. You, you trusting in Christ this morning? You're in the play. You have a role to play. Well, I'm, I, I, I can't speak. Well, Moses said that. Look what God did with him. No, you can't answer every question. And no, you don't know how to start conversations. And yes, you stumble over your words and you walk away wishing you'd said a hundred things you didn't say. But that's okay because the, the power of God is the gospel. Here's what I want you to say. God will use you. You're useful to Him. No matter what your age is. Man or woman, boy or girl, it doesn't matter you fill in the blank. If you're his child, you have the same power at work in you that raised Christ from the dead, and he will use you to tell others about this glorious grace. You can be and are an instrument of his grace to both Jew and Gentile. He is saving his people by working through weak and insufficient instruments so that he gets all the glory. We want to wait till we're strong and confident, and he never wants us to be that. As far as it, you know, I got this. I got this witnessing thing. I can answer every one of their questions. I'm going to notch my gun with everyone. See, that's just pride. No, he takes, read the Gospels for crying out loud. These guys were not supermen. They were knuckleheads, just like me and you. And look how he used them. So go and make disciples of all nations. Witness to Jew and Gentile and know God will bring about His purpose. See, this doctrine should inspire you that He will save His people. Let me just give you a glimpse of the end of the story. I need to stop. We're, we're running out of time here. But look at this glimpse from Revelation chapter 5. How is it all going to end? Well, worship around God's throne. Look at this. In verses 9 and 10. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are we are worthy. We are worthy. Is that what they say? No. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. You died for us. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. New heavens, new earth. 
See, his, the fullness of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Jews will come in and be around the throne of God, singing his praise. Look, and we have a, we have, we've sang that. We sang it today. In the church's one foundation, didn't we? Look at this. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Not just Jews, not just Gentiles. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every, look at that word, grace endued. God works out His salvation to the ends of this earth. Jews and Gentiles in fullness will be around His throne in the new heavens and the new earth. And He is using weak vessels like us to accomplish that purpose. One gospel, one people, Jew and Gentile, in grace, together in perfect harmony, Someday together in the new heavens and the new earth. All because Christ died and ransomed a people from God, for God from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Trust Him. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this glimpse behind the curtain of what you are doing in this world. You are accomplishing your purpose. Bringing souls to your Son, Father, every day in every nation. Thank you for the knowledge of your grace, your glory, your justice, your sovereignty. Thank you for the blessing of knowing you that we might rest in You, be humble in You, and be light and salt for You. Thank You for the knowledge that the fullness of Your people, from the Jews, Israel, and the Gentiles, will be saved because it is You working through Your instruments to accomplish Your purposes. So help us to be humble. Help us to hope. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be so enthralled with your grace that we couldn't help but speak. Encourage the discouraged and strengthen the weary and save the lost and sanctify and grow the saved and just... Be at work powerfully through your word in your church. We give you all the praise.